Well, beloved, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, as we behold God's living word today. We'll be going through chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible provided for you there in your seat back to help you uh, follow along. It's on page 984 and floating into 985 today. Y'all, we only have three weeks left, including this sermon in the book of Colossians. So it has been a wonderful ride. I pray that we as a church would finish strong and uh, we'll be getting into uh, a series on the body of Christ this fall. So uh, turn your heart uh, to that here in the coming weeks. We're excited to do that. If you remember what we covered last week, Paul ended the section of scripture in verse 17 by saying, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's actually gonna drive everything that we're gonna be talking about today. If you remember, he said, put on compassionate hearts, patience, kindness, put on love. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the peace of Christ reign and rule in your life in one body in the church. And then he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what we want to do as Christians. Those whose lives have been hidden with Christ and God, who have been reconciled to, to the Father through Christ, this is exactly what it is we want to do. Now, in our little passage here today, he is going to help us extend uh, that moniker in everything that we do, do it for the glory of God, moving from the body and placing it now in our homes and at work. And so as we serve Christ, as we're drawn to Christ, as we have a healthy fear of the Lord, as we'll see from this text, we want to be drawn to him. We want to operate how he wants us to operate. We want to know him and fear him and love him in such a way that would allow us to be faithful with every area and aspect of our life. If you look with me in the text, I'll read the word over you today, starting in verse 18. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, main point for our sermon today is simply this. Since Christ Jesus is Lord, our homes and our places of work must be devoted to him. Since Christ Jesus is Lord, our homes and our places of work must be devoted to him. And we're going to unpack everything that that means. This section is broken down into household, 
and into a places of work. That's the best way we can understand it. We're going to get to what a bondservant is, or maybe your translation says slave. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But for our points today, they're going to be in the form of two questions per section. So the first question is this, is Christ the motivation of your home? Is Christ the motivation of your home, your household, all the relational dynamics inside of it? And secondly, is Christ the reason you work? Is Christ the only and very reason that you do all work? Well, look with me in verse 18 again. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And if you recognize that all of these have to do with the household relationships, all of these have to do with dynamics in the home, which is where we get our first question today. Is Christ the motivation in your home? Now, to unpack the context for us just a little bit, in our little verse today, the Lord is mentioned seven times. Lord is mentioned six times, and then master, which is the same Greek word, is mentioned in verse one of chapter four. The Lord is the motivation by which we do all things, or we're called to do all things. We're, we're to do things that please the Lord. We're to do things that, um, uh, that have the fear of the Lord driving us. But the Lord is the center of this. Now, we're going to recognize throughout this passage that Paul's also speaking to specific authority that has been given both in the household and at work. He's going to be talking specifically to husbands, fathers, and masters. But everything that is in this text is rooted in verse 17. Whether, you, whether in word or deed, whatever it is you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, these little passages like this one in Colossians, and there's one that mimics it in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through verse 6, 4. These are called household codes. Uh, but these are not new to or, or uh, established by Christianity. The first time we ever see a household code is actually in uh, 4th century B.C., so uh, the, uh, Colossians, the Colossians, who are from a Greco-Roman culture, would have known a household code. They're the ones that, that kind of started it back with the great Greek philosopher Aristotle. Uh, but back in their context, men were allowed to treat their wives any way they wanted, and they could treat their children any way they wanted. And so what Paul is using here is language that would have been familiar with the Colossians, yet he is quite aware that the gospel of Christ Jesus transforms every single relationship that we are a part of. So I want us to have that mindset as we enter into the text today. He talks about both marriages, and then he talks about the relationships between parents and children. Look with me in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, I recognize that this isn't a popular phrase in our culture today. I doubt any of you are wearing a t-shirt right now that has this on it. Uh, but we do want to recognize uh, that this is what the word of God says. Now, in today's time, the word submit uh, is actually considered derogatory. Because it connotes the idea of inequality. 
But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, and I actually am calling you to trust the word of the Lord here. Let's see what the word of the Lord says so that we can understand what it means and then put it into practice for his glory. This is not an old-fashioned idea, by the way. This is not some first-century idea for wives to submit to their husbands. Uh, Even some in the church today would suggest that it is, that that's something that Paul in his time used to suggest, or that was what was going on in the first century. But we're going to see here that this is very much rooted from creation and it's meant as a way to glorify God and also it's a means of grace to both men and to women. So before we get into what submit means, perhaps it's most helpful to get into what submit does not mean. It does not mean that wives are less than men. It does not mean that they have less ability than men at all. It has no negative connotation to it. Wives are made in the image of God just as husbands are, fully equal in value and in dignity. Everyone is made in the imago Dei, the image of God. It's not a less than position that a wife carries. It does not mean, number two, it does not mean that wives are to be silent little church mice in the home without a voice. No, we want you to be exactly who God has created you to be. And I would even say this as a husband, wives, we need you to provide the wisdom that God has given you to help us lead and manage the home. I cannot tell you how many times my precious wife has provided insight, things that I cannot see, she has spoken into so that I can lead the household well. Or how many times we've been in premarital counseling with a younger couple and I'm on some 10-minute diatribe on some great theological thing and then I look over to her and she spills out something that is genius and I've completely missed it. It is not, it's not sitting quiet in the home. It does not mean that wives follow their husbands blindly. It does not mean that you follow your wife into disobedience or your husband into disobedience or sin. No, we are to follow them as they follow the Lord. This little phrase at the, ver- at the end of verse 18 is helpful for us. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That idea fitting carries the idea with it that we are to do what is proper as a Christian. And notice that it's to the Lord. That's ultimately the one that wives that you are submitting to. I will be honest with you. There's not a man in this room, including the guy that's speaking to you, that's worthy to be submitted to. But the Lord Jesus is, the one who saved you is. And he designed it this way. And it's actually for you're good. And so when you do it, it is actually meant to be done as unto the Lord, as also is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5. This is important for us to recognize that this is what the word of the Lord says. And this is what the word of the Lord does not say. I want you to hear that, wives. I want to be very cautious and careful with your hearts. Okay, here is what submit means. Now, remember in the context, in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the culture around, Paul had said, put on humility, verse 12, bear with one another, put on love in verse 14, and do this in one body. So have this in mind. But submit means to yield to someone's leadership. Wives, you are free and responsible members in your covenant marriage, and you are asked by God 
to submit voluntarily to your husbands. And this is actually a middle present imperative, which simply means this. You're to continually do this. This is something that you, you, you put on every single day in your household. You do it voluntarily. You do it because the Lord says to do it. Number two, it means you affirm and you encourage and you support your husband in his role. You recognize that God has given him a role and you encourage him towards that end. Even when you might know what is best, even if you see things that your husband does not see. I love uh, this little scenario that took place with uh, Richard Baxter, the great English Puritan. He had a group of guys come to them that says, how do we leave our families if our wives know more than we do? And he said, well, if your wife knows more than you do, she should know that you should be leading the family. We're simply, you're simply to encourage us to fulfill the role that God has asked us to fulfill inside the home. And number three, I want you to have Christ in view here. You are submitting to the Lord first and joyfully submitting to your husband. This also carries some instruction for us men. If they're submit, we are to lead. And we're going to get into this a little bit more in here in just a second. But I want us to recognize that, men, God has given you charge over the home to lead and to shepherd and to encourage your wife to fulfill this role and doing so gently. Husbands, you are the shepherds of the home. We see this throughout the scriptures. We see this dating back into the creation narrative. We see this in Deuteronomy 6. We see this in Psalm 78. We see this in Colossians 3. We see this in Ephesians 5. We see this in Titus 2. We see this everywhere. You are the pastor. You're the priest of your home. You are to be gentle, loving, engaged in the protection, the provision of your house. Your wife ought to joyfully want to submit to you as unto the Lord. We are to make that easy for her. Now, this theology is actually rooted all the way back into creation, as I've already mentioned. In fact, when the question pops up at the church of Ephesus, if women are to lead in the church, Paul roots the argument back into creation. He says women are not. For it was Adam that was formed first. And then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Now, I want us to go back into Genesis 3 in our minds very quickly. We remember that Eve is the one that first ate the fruit and gave it to her husband. But her husband was but an arm's length away. He abdicated his role of serving his wife, and he let his wife eat the fruit and become deceived. And so notice what God did in his judgment. The one who was supposed to lead did not lead, and so he sets the one to lead who is supposed to lead. And the one who usurped leadership is actually submitted now under the one who is to lead. And this is to work in a beautiful way to display humility and love. This is actually for our good. Now, wives, I don't want you to think that your husband is off the hook here. In fact, the hook is bigger and he is to listen up now. Look with me in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, your leadership is to be encased by the love of Christ. It's not to be harsh. It's not to be poignant. It's not to be sharp. It's not to be impatient. It's to be patient. It's to be loving, considerate. 
Paul goes on in more detail in Ephesians 5, 25 through 28 when he addresses husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. Gave himself up for the church. We learn how to shepherd and love our brides by observing and knowing and learning how Christ laid down his life for the church. That is a huge responsibility. It's the very opposite of harshness. It's the very opposite of abdication. It is being intentional. It's being near. It's being mindful. And it's laying down our lives for our brides. And I'm telling you, brothers, when we do this, our wives are going to want to promote our leadership. They're going to want to joyfully follow us. They're, want, they're going to want to know who Christ is, and they're going to learn who Christ is greater by your demonstration of your life being laid down for her and your children. This is the way that God designed this to be. So wives submit and, 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 and husbands serve and lead and lay down their lives. It's just beautiful relationship on display. Husbands, my encouragement to you is to study Christ. He cared for his bride. He taught us how to sacrifice for his bride. He taught us how to pray for his bride. He taught us even, yes, how to die for his bride so that the bride might live again. Your wife might be floundering in her faith because you are not laying down your life for her and instructing her in the word and caring for her soul. I remember the first year of our marriage, uh, we were in seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and I was learning all of this great stuff, right? I was washing her with the words the scripture was telling us. I, I was teaching Lauren, like, what the Greek said and these certain passages and what biblical theology was. I was just, just a great teacher in the home. And I'll never forget what she said. I can't wait until you show me these things. I still feel it. And she was right. We, we don't only know doctrine. We're not only called to know who God is and know God's word. We're to implement it into the lives of our wives. And as that has begun to happen, even in our marriage, seeing the joy of my wife explode and wanting to, to follow, even in, 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 in my mess-ups, wanting to follow and point out errors in me. It, it's an amazing way how God has set this up. So a few applications from this section first, and we'll, and we'll go quickly. Wives, this is, this is for you first. And sorry I don't have them up there today, so I hope you can write these down. Will you look at this as good for your heart and good, and good in your sanctification, meant for your sanctification? This is not an unfortunate obligation. It's not just so that the husband is protecting you. God is actually protecting you from yourself. He's actually caring for you in such a way that you would rely upon him, that you would serve him. Would you see it that way? And wives, I would encourage you to also look at Christ, who equal with the Father, the Father and the Son are one. That's what Jesus said in John, in John 15 and 16. 
but he laid down his will for the will of the Father. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. This is kind of what that looks like for you. Equal but different roles inside of the relationship. And number two, I want to encourage wives to encourage your husbands to lead. Don't yell at them for not leading. Encourage them to lead. Plead with them to lead the way that the Lord has called them to lead. It's okay to have that conversation. In fact, it's good to have that conversation. You're not, um, you're not the hired help. You're the suitable helper, and there's a significant difference. I want us to think about that. Wives, what things are you to submit to? That might be a question that you're, is rolling around in your mind right now. Well, certainly not immoral things. That, that is not uh, what we submit to. Um, uh, it's not what you're called to submit to. But things that have big directional decisions for the family or things that are important for the family. I'm thinking about like child rearing. Perhaps, perhaps you don't agree that a child should be disciplined in a certain way and a husband does. Instead of disagreeing on how one is disciplined, speak life into that conversation of what godly discipline looks like according to the scriptures. You know, something like that. Perhaps a husband has a new job in a different city. And the last thing you want to do is go. I remember when my, I told my wife about the opportunity a few years back in Raleigh and telling her that we might move. Her first, I, she did not want to go. But after prayer and conversation, and, and God led us to that. And she, she joyfully followed me, even if she wasn't joyfully to go. There's decisions that we make. There's ways that we can submit to our husband's leadership as they follow the Lord and we joyfully follow as well. But that does not mean you can't speak into it. That means you get to joyfully submit to the position that God has given to your husband. Husbands, please look at me. Please listen up. Husbands, ask your wife how you can better serve her. Ask her how you can tend better to her feelings and her needs her emotions. Husbands, have the courage to ask this question. How do you not feel loved? That's a really important question because the word says here, love your wives. How do you not feel loved? Every night we have something called table talk where we just, after we put the kids down, we sit and we just talk. Sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's three hours just based on what's going on in each other's lives. We gotta know what's going on in each other's lives. Where our wives' hearts are at so that we can shepherd and lead them. Husbands, pursue your wife, of course, intimately, but emotionally, spiritually, practically. Protect her, love her, serve her in these things. Do that. Send a text throughout the day. Let her know that you're thinking about her. Send a verse, a scripture verse that you're praying for her. To a spouse who's married, perhaps to a non-Christian, or to a, a spouse that's not engaged in the Christian discussion in the home, your role is still the same. Follow and rejoice in what God has done because it's for him and not always for your, your spouse, right? That is the application. And perhaps your spouse will come to know the Lord Jesus as Paul instructed in 1 Corinthians 7. So even if your spouse is not fulfilling their role, we still want to fulfill the role that God has given to us. Now look at that second relationship dynamic there, parents and children. Do I have any children in the room today? If you're a child, could you look up here for just a second? Paul actually writes this to you. 
he writes this little portion of scripture to you. Um, Look with me in verse 20. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So it's a very loving thing that God gave you parents that loved you, that bring you to church, that talk to you about Jesus, that put a shirt on your back and give you food on your plate. But look what it says. You're doing this every time, every, every time they ask you to do something, it says to obey. But, but I want you to see who it pleases the most. It pleases the Lord when you obey your mom and dad. This is a great way for you to learn who God is by obeying the parents that he has given you. And I'm so grateful for Pastor John and the way that he instructs you to learn, to listen to your parents. Mom and dad, I want you to see when we, so children, anytime your parents ask you to clean your room or to make your bed or to take out the trash, do it. It might not be something you'll want to do, but do it happily. Do it because the Lord is asking you to do it through your mom and dad. I think that would be good for your soul. If you learn to listen to the voice of your mom and dad, you'll learn to listen to the voice of the Lord when you get older. Parents, notice that word obey. The word obey suggests there's some instructions given to the children. It also implies consequences. It implies uh, boundaries. It implies a lot. We're to instruct our children in the Lord. We're to give them clear boundaries. Uh, We're to discipline them. Proverbs 13, 24 says that you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child. Uh, We are to instruct them in this manner. If they're not, if they're not, if the rod is not given to them, uh, they will learn to think that they can get away with everything and the soul is spoiled. Now there's conversations to have in this, no doubt, but we are to be faithful to implement the things that God's word says. So we give instructions, clear instructions to our children. These are the things that we want you to do. These are the things that please the Lord. This is who God is. In our house, there's two things we discipline for. Any time one of our children disobeys a clear instruction that has been given to them or any time that they lie. I mean, we also recognize that they're kids. We recognize they're going to mess up. We recognize that they can be rambunctious. But we want to make sure that they have an understanding of what it is that is expected of them in the home. Ultimately, this is for their good so that they can learn obedience from the father. Now look with, with me in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now he singles out fathers here, probably because of that authority, that authoritarian nature that's going on in the Greco-Roman world and just the natural bent that we have as fathers to rule harshly. But he singles out fathers. It's not that mothers aren't included because look, it says obey your parents, right, in verse 20. But he singles out fathers here. So if you're a father in the room, please listen. We're not to provoke our children. We set the culture and the tone of our households. We don't want our, provoke means to not have our children be resentful or be discouraged or bitter towards us. But we're to edify and to build up our children. They're to know that, they, that we love them. They're to know that they can go to us for anything. They're, gonna, they, they're to know that we know and, and fear the Lord and want us to and, and know that we're going to point them back to the Lord every single time we talk to them. Naturally, we have to recognize that this is not our natural bent. We're not, we're not um, compassionate. 
we are, are actually harsh, and it's good for us to, to admit that. And anywhere that there's sin, by the way, in any of this, guys, there's going to be sin. We want to go back to the Lord and remember the grace of God that's been given to us. So let me just say that to fathers, if I could. But fathers, we're to be full of compassion. I love what it says in Psalm 103. It says, as fathers show compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We are to love and serve our children. So here's some applications of what this looks like in these relational dynamics. Husbands, fathers, wives, lead in family worship. Lead in family worship. And here's what that means. Make sure that there's a time in your home where you gather around the word of God. I don't care how young your children are, how old they are when they're in your house. Let them see the word of the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord spoken, taught, praised, prayed over, prayed through. Oftentimes we think about all of life, all of our rhythms, all of our daily habits are, be, are to be devoted to the Lord. But if we, if we don't start in a place around a table often or around a bed talking about the things of God, those daily conversations, those redeeming conversations where we're pointing everything back to the Lord often don't occur. So if it's not occurring in your life right now, I would encourage you to implement it. If it, is if it is being implemented in your life right now, I would encourage you to continue. If you're a grandparent, anytime they're in your household or a great-grandparent, bring the word of the Lord before them so that they see your faith on display and the glory of God revealed through the scriptures. Uh, two, fathers, please watch your hearts, harshness and repent where need be. Your children will learn repentance based on your example. And that goes to you as well, mothers. Children will not understand repentance unless they see us repenting for our shortcomings. Nobody in this room is perfect. We're not going to fulfill these roles perfectly, but we hold to the Christ who is perfect and whose life has been purchased for us. So our children will learn repentance based on our example of repentance. Singles, this is not a day off for you, okay? Singles, I want to encourage you to go and participate in the families of the church. Go and see what family worship looks like. For couples that don't have children yet, go and participate with families. Singles and couples that don't have children yet, go and encourage fathers and mothers in the roles that God has given them. This is good. This is a good practice. To the single parent uh, who's raising a child, the Lord has not forgotten you. He cares for you. I think about Timothy, whose father was a Greek. He was not a Christian, but he was raised by a faithful mother and grandmother, and he became the overseer of the church at Ephesus. God is not going to abandon you in your instruction of the Lord. Now, quickly, look with me in verse 23 as Paul moves on to these relational dynamics. Verse 22, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
Chapter 4, verse 1, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Here's the, the second point, the second um, question for us today, which will be faster than the first, by the way. Is Christ the reason for your work? Is Christ the reason for your work? Well, he addresses two groups here, bondservants and masters. So first, what is a bondservant? Well, it's the term doulos, which does mean slave, okay? Now, it's impossible for us in our American ideologies and history to separate slavery with the history of our country, okay? But when we're talking about in this passage, and we're going to see why in just a second, we're not talking about oppressive slavery that dehumanizes people. That's, Paul is not advocating or condoning that type of slavery, Okay, in the Greco-Roman world, about one-third of the population were slaves, and they were voluntarily slaves or bondservants, and it was actually a, a pretty good way to have a lifestyle in that context. It was a great way to provide for your family. It was a great way to be safe, to protect your family. Okay, so scholars and history kind of tell us that. But there's two things that Paul lets us, that we have to think through with, that uh, encourage us that that's not something Paul is advocating for, slavery the way that we know it. He's giving instruction to bondservants here, which suggests that the bondservant has the capacity and the ability to listen to the instruction, to hear it as, as the church hears it. He's treating them as dignified people, people who are perhaps under a master, but he's encouraging them to live faithfully in the space that God has them in. So Paul is pastoring the bondservant here. I want us to see that. And then secondly, he gives a very big warning to the masters in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, be fair and just with the bondservants because you have a master in heaven. So we have reason to believe that that has not on Paul's mind. So the dynamic between bondservant and master might be difficult for us to understand. So the easiest way in our culture to understand it might be employee and boss. Okay? So all of us are employees and boss, or we have been at one point in time. And so let's think about it in that way. He says in verse 22, he says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by eye service or people pleasing, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. So he gives us ways not to obey our earthly masters, and then he gives us ways to obey our earthly masters. Verse 22, it says, Do not obey them by eye service or people pleasing. We're all tempted even today to be people who want to please people. We want our bosses to think well of us. We want people to think well of us. And in the end, it's very self-centered. In the end, we're actually stealing away glory that belongs to the Lord. He's encouraging in verse 22 and 23, no, to do this with a sincerity of heart. We're to be motivated by the fear of the Lord. We're not to fear man. We're to fear the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means we want to have a reverence for the Lord, more than a reverence for our master or our boss. Our Lord is the one who is king, and therefore we have a healthy fear and love and gratitude for him. It says in verse 23, look down with me, whatever you do, Paul says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Think about that. Whatever job you do, whatever task is given you, do it for the Lord and not for men. 
God is worthy of you doing it for him. Every job that you have, every task given throughout the course of a day is to be done to the Lord Jesus and not the one who you report to or signs your paychecks. If Christ is all and in all, as the book of Colossians has reminded us, and his economy is where we are dwelling, then everything we do, we do for him. And we do it heartily, which means we do it with all of our soul. We don't do it with grumbling or complaining. We do it with all of our hearts. We ought to be dead dog tired at the end of the day because we are working for the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us. That is the reality. You should lay your head up on the pillow at night and just be out. I'm just kidding. I know there's like uh, sleep disorders and all that and I don't. But, but it is in a sense we ought to be tired at the end of our work days. So my questions for you are how often are you cruising the internet at work? How often are you doing things that you've not been hired to do? When a boss has, been, when a boss has given you a job, do it quickly. Do it immediately. Do it with joy and do it for the Lord. That is the way that we are to work. That's what makes a Christian different than anyone else in this world. How often are we doing things that our boss has not hired us to do? It's just, it's a good question to ask how your work ethic is. What's the motive behind all the work that you do? Whatever reports that you run, whatever calls you make, whatever lunches you have, whatever decisions you make, whatever suggestions you give, whatever money you spend, responses that you give, energy that you give, it's all for Christ. It's all for Christ. So here's some application that comes out of that. Treat your boss, check this out. Treat your boss as if it's the Lord Christ himself. Treat your boss as if it's the Lord Christ himself. Worthy of all honor and dignity. Because the Lord has placed you under that authority to make you into the image of the Son. And if he did this before Pilate, we can do this before our earthly bosses. Number two, work as if Christ himself has given you tasks. Because guess what? He has. If he's over all things and he's worked all things together for his glory and, and our good, and he, then everything that is done is done by the orchestration of his hand. And so it should be a joy to do the things that he has given us to do for the glory of his name. And you might say, well, Blair, my boss is unreasonable and inconsiderate. I'm sure that is true. But ultimately, you do not work for him. You work to the one who has purchased you by the blood of the cross. God is after our hearts here. He's after our sanctifications here. He's placed us in positions to be led and have to submit to authority for our good. It's for our good to make us into the image of the Son. So we do all of these things for the Lord Jesus himself. And, and look, verse 24, there's a reward for you, for your work. Knowing that from the Lord, this is great. Bond servants, there is a guarantee for us. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Most bond servants and slaves don't get a reward. But those who are in Christ get Christ. In the end, we get to dwell with him forever. And so no matter what we're doing, even if it's difficult seasons, even if it's unrealistic requests, we're doing this all for the Lord, knowing that we're getting an inheritance that's coming for us. And that should impact every single day that we live. 
in every single task that we do. And you're like, well, that just doesn't seem feasible. Well, Paul's calling it to be feasible. And if he's asking us to do it, we have to recognize that God has made a way for us to do it. And it's through Christ. He's given us the grace and mercy of God to dwell with us to do these things. There is a promise to those in verse 25 that those who are, are wrongdoers will, re, will receive payback. That should not motivate our work. That's just a reality that God is over all things. So the unjust request, the, the people that don't submit to the authority of Christ, those who bully you for being a Christian, there is payback for them. But we ought to pray for them and not be motivated by the payback. We ought to be motivated by what Christ has done for us, by the love of Christ himself. And then finally, masters. Paul gives a word to you who are in authority, those who are bosses, those who oversee. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly. And this little phrase ought to torment us. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven who has treated us so kindly. And this ought to drive all that we do. So every person is counted here, bond servant, master leader, parent, people in the church. I mean, everybody is counted here somewhere. Uh, just very quick application to the master. Treat people the way that you have been treated. Treat people the way that you would want to be treated, excuse me. Treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Treat people the way that Christ has treated you. Be patient. Serve them. Show them how to do things. Christ got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet to show them how to do things. This is what we're called to. Those of us who are called to lead, we're to, to bless people, we're to pray for people. They ought to know what Christ looks like by our leadership. These are things that we all are to consider today. Right? Wife, husband, child, father, bondservant, slave, everything we do, we ought to do for Christ. We submit joyfully because of Christ. We fear the Lord because we know that he is a worthy God to follow. We do these things knowing that the gospel has come to us. It saved us. It's changed our hearts and our minds, and therefore we ought to want to do these things with joy. This is where we find ourselves today. Are you ready, church family, to bring your whole life under the authority of Christ? Every area that's not submitted, are you willing to do everything, word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus? This can be displayed in your home and your work, as Paul is calling us to here today. And if you need to grow in these areas, which we all do, I confessed before you today, I need to grow in these areas. May we turn to Christ. May we hold to the cross, the grace as the great motivator of all of our patience, our compassionate heart, all of our long-suffering, all of our love driven by the cross itself. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you And we recognize, God, that you have given us these instructions to do these things and to do these things well. But, Father, we have all fallen short of the glory of your name. And so, Father, we turn to you now and ask for grace and for help. God, would you make us into to people that reflect the glory of your name. 
that reflect Christ in the church, that demonstrate a supernatural love that's driven by the Spirit. Will you help us to be faithful employees and faithful bosses, faithful wives and husbands and parents and children, all for the glory of your name. We pray all of this in, in the name of Jesus, who is our King and who's worthy of all our praise, everything that we do. Amen.